Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And it's time for another forecast episode, Brenna. February forecast. I love doing these because it just makes me find all these wonderful books that I, I don't know when I'm going to read them, but I'm very excited to talk about them. Yeah, so as we talked about in the last minisode, your hit-miss ratio for completion is a little bit low, but uh, that shouldn't reduce the excitement you feel about discovering new titles. It's like, can your eyes be bigger than your stomach, but like, for books? <laughs> I absolutely think so, and I think both of our library holds lists would testify to the fact. Fair. Super fair point. Yes, so we are uh, forecasting for... February 2020, and uh, giving you a sense of what you can throw on your own library holds list. And I think that this week, Joe has more to say than I do. So I'm going to defer to you, Joe, to start us All off. Right. So listeners, I will confess, if you have not listened to our January 2020 forecast, I will say I was a little less excited about February than I was for January. And I can tease that I'm very excited for March. Ooh. With that said, February does still have a bunch of good titles, and I'm going to kick it off with Alice by Heart by Stephen Sater. And he is the co-creator of Spring Awakening, the <gasps> musical. Okay. Yeah, so in case Tell you hadn't guessed by the title, Alice by Heart involves Alice in Wonderland. So it is set in London in 1940, and amidst the rubble of the Blitz of World War II, 15-year-old Alice Spencer and her best friend Alfred are forced to take shelter in an underground tube station. Sick with tuberculosis, Alfred is quarantined with doctors saying that he won't make it through the night. So in her desperation to keep him holding on, Alice turns to their favorite pastime, which is recalling the book that bonded them and telling the story that she knows by heart, the story of Alice in Wonderland. Aww. So what follows... Is a stunning, fantastical journey that blends Alice's two worlds, her war-ravished homeland being held together by nurses and soldiers and Winston Churchill, and her beloved Wonderland, a welcome distraction from the bombs and death, but a place where one rule always applies, the pages must keep turning. But then the lines between the two worlds begin to blur. Is that a militant Red Cross nurse demanding that Alice get back to her bed? Or is it the infamous Queen of Hearts saying something about her head? Soon, Alice must decide whether to stay in Wonderland forever or embrace the pain of reality if that's what it means to grow up. It sounds amazing. Doesn't that sound really good? Uh, I love a reinvented classic. I love a story about the anxiety of growing up in like a really visceral way. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's on my list now too. That's awesome. Well, I think even just, again, so as I teased in January, I do love YA that has a historical connection. And yes. I found that, unfortunately, we, for some reason or another, have not been touching on it quite as much as I would have hoped. I don't think they get adapted at the same rate. Not as often. There's a lot of really good books that are set in historical time periods and sometimes even like back in medieval times. But yeah, they... I think are a harder sell for film mm -hmm. and television audiences. Mm -hmm. Not to say that there aren't ones out there, and I'm hoping that we're going to touch on them in the future. But uh, yeah, I mean, for now, we've got stuff like Alice by Heart to look forward to. Sounds awesome. Okay, my first pick is... <laughs> so excited. Of course you are. <laughs> Becky Albertalli. I knew Yay! it. As soon as I saw <laughs> that she had a book coming out this month, I was like, well, we know which one Brenna's going to pick. <laughs> 
so true. So it's a it's an Becky Albertelli co-write with Aisha Saeed. And we know that Becky Albertelli does love a co-write. She She's sure not does. worked with Aisha Saeed before. Aisha Saeed has a few books out. I have only read some of her short fiction, but really okay. liked it. So um, let me tell you about Yes, No, Maybe So, which is out February 4th. <laughs> I know, it's such a good title. Um, okay, <clears throat> so excited. Yes, Jamie Goldberg is cool volunteering for his local state Senate candidate as long as he's behind the scenes. When it comes to speaking to strangers, or let's face it, speaking at all to almost anyone, Jamie's a choke artist. There's no way he'd ever knock on doors to ask people for their votes. Until he meets Maya. No. Maya Raymond's having the worst Ramadan ever. Her best friend is too busy to hang out, her summer trip is cancelled, and now her parents are separating. Why her mother thinks the solution to her problems is political canvassing with some awkward dude she hardly knows is beyond her. <laughs> maybe so. Going door to door isn't exactly glamorous, but maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. After all, the polls are getting closer, and so are Maya and Jamie. Mastering <gasps> local activism is one thing. Navigating the cross-cultural romance of the century is another thing entirely. This sounds so perfectly you. <laughs> A little bit of political activism <laughs> as well as people falling in love. I know. It's actually my genre of choice. <laughs> Not at all surprised that this is topping your list. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. It sounds so cute. And also, I, just, I mean, we all know I love... Becky Albertelli. This is, of course, the author of Simon and the Homo Sapiens Agenda, folks, if you're not as obsessed yeah. with names as we are. But she also wrote Upside of Unrequited, Leah on the Offbeat. She co-wrote What If It's Us. So yes, anyway, mm -hmm. Becky yeah. Albertelli, Yes, No, Maybe So, February 4th. Just go get it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so my second pick is called No True Believers by Rabia York Lombard. That's a good title. Yes, and wait until you hear this description. Okay. Salma Bakui has always loved living in her suburban cul-de-sac with her best friend Miriam next door and her boyfriend Amir nearby. Then things start to change. Friends start to distance themselves. Miriam's family moves when her father's patients no longer want a Muslim chiropractor. Even trusted teachers look the other way when hostile students threaten Salma at school. After a terrorist bombing nearby, Islamophobia tightens its grip around Salma and her family. Shockingly, she and Amir find themselves with few allies as they come under suspicion for the bombing. As Salma starts to investigate who is framing them, she uncovers a deadly secret conspiracy with suspicious ties to her new neighbors, but no one believes her. Salma must use her coding talent, wits, and faith to expose the truth and protect the only home she's ever known before it's too late. Um, I love the twist bit at the end where they're like, she has to use her coding talent. Yeah, I love that it's her faith and her wits and her coding talent. That's and awesome. I feel like there's a little bit of burying the lead there, but I can understand <laughs> that you're trying to set a bunch of things up. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really interesting. It sounds incredibly timely, obviously. But I like that it's a bit of a thriller as well, mm -hmm. right? It's not just, you know, she's dealing with Islamophobia, which we have seen in other texts before. So I think this is putting a little bit more of an edgy twist on a not unfamiliar topic. I think it sounds great. And yeah, I like, you're right. I like the idea that it's sort of a genre play on what we maybe have seen as a more sort of straightforward contemporary own voices previously. That's kind mm -hmm. of exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so that's No True Believers by Rabia York Lombard. Okay. So my next one, I have to confess, I was like, I think Joe's going to be into this one. 
Mm-hmm. I had looked at it, so I wasn't surprised to see it on your list. <laughs> so the title I'm looking at is The New David Espinosa by Fred Achieves, and the tagline is, This own voice's story from the acclaimed author of The Closest I've Come unflinchingly examines steroid abuse and male body dysmorphia. Oh, yeah. topics after my own heart. <laughs> well, we don't see a lot of engagement with with male body dysmorphia in YA, and it's nope. a huge... I mean, I think when people think of body dysmorphia and eating disorders they think of young women always but the rising population i actually heard a very disturbing stat the other day in a podcast i was listening to the two groups where body dysmorphia and eating disorder behavior is rising quickest is in teenage boys okay and women over the age of 40 oh really yep wow yep not good. No, not good. Let me read you the description of this book. Uh, it's it's suggested as for fans of Jason Reynolds and Matt De La Pena, two names we've talked about at length on the show before. Mm-hmm. David Espinoza is tired of being messed with. When a video of him getting knocked down by a bully slap goes viral at the end of his junior year, David vows to use the summer to bulk up, to do whatever it takes to become a man, and wow everyone when school starts again in the fall. Soon, David is spending all his time and money at Iron Life, a nearby gym that's full of bodybuilders. Frustrated by his slow progress, his life eventually becomes all about muscle gains. As it says on the Iron Life wall, what does not kill me makes me stronger. As David falls into the dark side of the bodybuilding world, pursuing his ideal body at all costs, he'll have to grapple with the fact that it could actually cost him everything. Oh, this sounds a little dark, Brenna. I know, it does sound a little dark. It does. But also, I think we have not seen enough books about this topic. No. And to be honest, I mean, I was very steeped in gym culture for a significant period of time. And it is its own, I don't want to say dark and insidious world, but there is a weird conflation where you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. Mm -hmm. And it is a very masculine environment. And masculine is defined by physicality. Yes. Yes. And I think that we know, as I said, this is a rising area of concern around, particularly around steroid abuse among young men. Mm -hmm. I was reading a a story in the paper, couldn't have been that long ago, in the Globe and Mail, and it was about how steroid use is on the rise in like university sports too. Like this is not something, you know, I'm naive. And I was like, oh, people using (laughs) steroids, that's like professional athletes. That's (laughs) crazy talk. That's crazy talk. But I do remember that uh, many years ago in the cycling community in Vancouver, someone was spot tested. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they were like a category C racer. Category C is like one step up from <laughs> I race on the weekends. Like it's not right. it's not professional. You are not going to the Tour de France. And I was like, why would you put that in your body to be a category C? That's crazy. But yeah. I don't know anything. This is the competitive <laughs> world that we live in, right? It's, it is. You have to be better than that next person, even though you're never going to be the best. Yes. Ooh, that sounded weird. No, but I get what you're saying. It's like this idea that as long as I'm better than the next guy, I'm at least achieving something. Exactly. Just don't be the bottom. And if what it takes is something like steroids to give you that advantage. But Yeah. So that's the new David Espinosa, and it's out February 11th. Okay. Dark, grim. Yeah, Uh, a little bit. I'm going to take us to some fairy tale stuff then. How's that? See, this is why why we keep you on the show. (laughs) Because my next one is also dark. Go on. Awesome. Okay. So I am stealing from Max, listener Max, because I see that he's somehow already rated this book. uh, (laughs) It's not out yet. Somehow Max is on top of it. So this is called (laughs) Red Hood by Alana K. Arnold. And the logline is, since her grandmother became her caretaker when she was four years old, Bisou Martel has lived a quiet life in a little house in Seattle. 
She's kept mostly to herself. She's been good. But then comes the night of homecoming, when she finds herself running for her life over roots and between trees, a fury of claws and teeth behind her. A wolf attacks. Bizou fights back. A new moon rises, and with it, questions about the blood in Bizou's past and on her hands as she stumbles home, about broken boys and vicious wolves, about girls lost in the woods, frightened, but not alone. Ooh. Yeah, so Ooh. I think this is some kind of modern retelling of like Little Red Riding Hood yeah. with some werewolves going on. <laughs> but that plot description is vaguer than I'm used to, so I'm definitely intrigued. I actually love how close they've held their cards to their chest there. Yeah, you get exactly the right amount of knowledge about what's probably going on, but no clarity. If you want to know, read the book. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds really good. And also, yeah, I love a retell. Well, I already said this about Alice in Wonderland, but I love a retelling. I just yeah. do. Why not? Well, it's such a rewarding reading experience, a good retelling, because you end up feeling like you're on an Easter egg hunt. Like, oh, I got that reference. Oh, I got that mm -hmm. reference. It's nice. Mm -hmm. Or just a, a new appreciation of an old story. True. True, true. Yeah. So that is Red Hood by Alana K. Arnold. Awesome. Okay, my last pick, although I have a couple of films to mention. Ooh. My last pick is Turtle Under Ice by Julia Del Rosario. And you know how much I love a formal innovation, Joe. Oh, I do, because this was actually the top of my list. And then <laughs> I saw that you already had it on yours, and I had to curse a little bit and then find something else. Because <laughs> it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. So the, the logline is, a teen navigates questions of grief, identity, and guilt in the wake of her sister's mysterious disappearance in this breathtaking novel in verse from the author of 500 Words or Less Perfect for fans of Elizabeth Acevedo, which we all know hmm. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Why was Brenna drawn to this particular title? <laughs> Here's the plot summary. Rowena feels like her family's a frayed string of lights that someone needed to fix with electrical tape. After her mother died a few years ago, she and her sister Ariana drifted into their own corners of the world, each figuring out their own separate ways of how to exist in a world in which their mother is no longer alive. But then Ariana disappears under the cover of night in the middle of a snowstorm, leaving no trace or tracks. When Ro wakes up to a world of snow and her sister's empty bedroom, she's left to piece together the mystery behind where Ariana went and why, realizing along the way that she might be part of the reason Ariana is gone. Haunting and evocative and told in dual perspectives, Turtle Under Ice examines two sisters frozen by grief as they search for a way to unthaw. I guess that's not right. They're searching for a way to thaw, surely. <laughs> <laughs> But all this to say, it looks really good. It's in poetry. Yes. It's in dual perspectives. Yes, yeah. yes. And it's about a serious issue with a lot of like emotional weight. Yes, yes, yes. I'm very excited. It's out February 11th. <laughs> yeah. Strangely enough, I noticed that almost all the books that are coming out in February are being released in the first two weeks of the month. Yes. I noticed that too. Because I was like, oh, am I covering the first two weeks too much? And then I looked and I was like, mm -mm, there's it's nothing. It's the 4th and the 11th. It is. It's very crazy. So that's Turtle Under Ice by Julia Del Rosario. It does sound good. I mm -hmm. almost want you to prioritize that one because it sounds so much your jam that I really I want you to report back. I really want to, too. Okay. I can okay. take that challenge on. <laughs> okay. Listeners, mm -hmm. hold her to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my final pick is called What I Want You to See by Katherine Linka. And this one is... Uh, Maybe a little bit on par with some of the books that I talked about in our last minisode when I was doing the wrap-up, because it's a bit of a, I don't want to say a conventional thriller, but it's uh, a little bit more straightforward, I think, than some of the other ones I've been talking about. 
Okay. So here is the logline. Winning a scholarship to California's most prestigious art school seems like a fairy tale ending to Sabine Ray's awful senior year. After losing both her mother and her home, Sabine longs for a place where she belongs. Mm. But the cutthroat world of visual arts is nothing like what Sabine had imagined. Colin Crail, the renowned faculty member whom she had hoped would mentor her, seems to take merciless delight in tearing down her best work and warns her that she'll lose the merit-based award if she doesn't improve. Desperate and humiliated, Sabine doesn't know where to turn. Then she meets Adam, a grad student who understands better than anyone the pressures of art school. He even helps Sabine get insight on Crail by showing her the modern master's work in progress, a portrait that sold for a million dollars, sight unseen. Sabine is enthralled by the portrait. Within those swirling, colorful layers of paint is the key to winning her inscrutable teacher's approval. Krell did advise her to improve her craft by copying a painting she connects with, but what would he think of Sabine secretly painting her own version of his masterpiece? No, don't do it. And, here's craziness, and what should she do when she accidentally becomes party to a crime so well plotted that no one knows about it but her? Oh, this just got very Joe in a, fa- in a hurry. <laughs> to which I say, what? <laughs> that last line seemingly changes everything, everything. going on. <laughs> So yeah, so part of what I like about this is that it's set at an art school, which is an unconventional setting. Like, it appeals partially to me because I've worked at an art school, and it really does have its own kind of dynamic Mm -hmm. and people. So this idea of a master-apprentice relationship that is fraught with tension and conflict is very relatable. And then, yeah, we've got some secret crime just thrown into the mix that I want to know more. I'm amazed at how that plot description was structured. That's right? delightful. <laughs> Way to bury the lead there. <laughs> <laughs> so Funny. once again, that was What I Want You to See by Catherine Linka. Love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so you have honorable mentions. Just two, and I don't really have a lot to say about either of them, so I'm going to do them both together, but I think they might okay. be of interest to listeners of the show. All right. The first one is Joe. I know Mm -hmm. you already know this because you schedule the podcast recordings, but Mm -hmm. To All the Boys I've Loved Before 2 comes out in February. It sure does. If I'm not mistaken, it's right around Valentine's Day, is it not? I know. So my my toddler does this thing when he's really happy where he like, his voice gets all high pitched and he goes, oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the sound you made? (laughs) That was the sound I made. And it's funny because I knew it was coming out. It's probably unsurprising that we intend to cover it on the show. I knew it was coming out, but I didn't really realize, you know how sometimes you don't remember that like February comes after January when you're in the middle of January? (laughs) Or like when a month ends and a new one begins and you realize, oh, it's actually just next week. Yes. Yes. So I had completely sort of lost track of when this was coming out, and it has just fully delighted me. Listeners of the show may remember that after we did the first To All the Boys I've Loved Before, I immediately read the entire rest of the series in like five minutes. Mm -hmm. So I am pretty excited to see what they do with the adaptation. Yeah, because as we talked about, they did make a couple of fairly significant changes in the first film adaptation. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's going to have some interesting ramifications for the second film. Yes, because they've changed the order in which they introduce the characters, right? If I'm not mistaken. So yes, it will be interesting to see what happens. And the other film because it's an adaptation and because it's an adaptation we talked about really recently is that there's a brand new emma remake coming out this month yes i did know that so we read emma when we watched clueless and one of the things we talked about on that episode 
is how bad the existing Emma adaptation is. So terrible. So terrible. So, so I'm excited to see what they do with it. I figure they probably won't hit the bar of Clueless, but it no. can't be as bad as the existing adaptation. And that right. must be a pretty comfortable place to be as a filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like what we talked about with the new David Espinosa, right? It's like, yep. you don't have to be, you don't have to be the best. You just, you just have, to have to do it. be the best. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh dear. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I had noticed that too, and I'm excited. I think I'll I'll actually check that out. I'm still not a beloved Jane Austen fan. I really don't think we should have given you Emma as your first Jane Austen. <laughs> well, I was glad to have you and Brennan around to help me through. <laughs> okay. So I have two honorable mentions. Maybe I'll start with the second one because it's a little bit easier. It's called Solstice by Lawrence Allison. And it's basically like, what if the fire Festival resulted in murder? I mean, aren't we all kind of surprised it didn't? <laughs> to be honest, 100%. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I remember, this is a total digression, but mm-hmm. I remember when fire Festival things started to happen, I was like following it on my phone. Mm-hmm. It was like the early days when like you only knew about the fire Festival if you were like on social media all the time. And I was yes. on Twitter and Instagram following this story. And like everybody I saw, I'd be like, I have to tell you about this crazy thing that's happening on my phone right now. <laughs> like for a whole day, like at the grocery store. I was like, look at this. This is nuts. Because it doesn't feel like real life. It didn't feel like real life at all. Like it, all of it seemed so goofy, like from its inception. Anyway, and then like the documentary came out and I was like, oh, yeah, no, it was exactly as nutso as it seemed from the outside. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, go on with your with your book. It's this main character, Adri, wins an all expenses paid trip to the Solstice Festival, which she thinks is going to be great. So she throws everything in her life away to go to it. Oh. And these entitled teen partiers arrive on this island paradise, but there's nothing that's ready. Everything is wrong. Uh, it's trending for all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And then bodies begin washing up on the beach. So someone is killing these people. <laughs> so it's a fire festival plus murder. <laughs> because you know there's moments when i realize just what an unrepentant class warrior i am (laughs) oh kill and eat the rich just do it i don't care (laughs) yeah i mean i hope adri sounds nice she's got a summer internship that she's thrown away to go to this so presumably she will live but yeah if the other rich entitled people happen to die all the better for it Oh, I just remember watching that fire festival documentary and everybody's like, can you believe they were expecting us to sleep on like these beds? And I'm just like, I, I, I hate you so much. That is the bed I sleep on regularly. <laughs> uh, go on. Okay. <laughs> I will definitely read that book is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So I have one more and it's kind of like your January honorable mentions. This was the top pick that I had for the month of February. And then I read into it a little bit and I dropped it to honorable mention. So it is the first in a series. The series is just called North. And the first book is called Below by Alexandria Warwick. And the reason I was so attracted to this is because it's based on Inuit mythology. That's cool. And Alexandria Warwick is not Inuit. Oh. So I did a little bit of searching on her Goodreads page. She's very upfront about it. She consulted with Inuit storytellers, but she is not Inuit. And she did write this independently. So with that context in mind, here's the description. 
In the heart of the frigid north, there lives a demon known as the Face Stealer. Eyes, nose, mouth, nothing and no one is safe. Once he returns to his lair, or wherever it is he dwells, no one ever sees those faces again. When tragedy strikes, Ape embarks on a perilous journey to find her sister's face, yet becomes trapped in a labyrinth ruled by a sinister girl named Yuki. The girl offers Ape a deal. Find her sister's face hidden within the labyrinth, and she will be set free. But the labyrinth and those who inhabit it is not as it seems, especially Numiek, darkly powerful, beautiful, whose motives are not yet clear. With time slipping, Ape is determined to escape the deadly labyrinth with her sister's face in hand. But in Yuki's harsh world, Ape will need all her strength to survive. Yuki only plays the games. She wins. Well, it sounds very interesting. Yeah, like I love this idea of it's not like a child abduction. It's not going on a perilous journey to recover her sister. It's to recover her face. That to me is very reminiscent of the kind of indigenous storytelling that we would Mm -hmm. hear, right? Mm -hmm. Like essential components of a person, not the person as a whole. It's fascinating. And I'm, hmm, it's really interesting to see indigenous mythology being drawn upon in a way that we haven't we don't preview we don't usually see it in fantasy Mm -hmm. i would say that a good idea would be to keep an eye out for debbie reese's thoughts on this book when they emerge and once again remind us who debbie reese is yeah we've talked about her before on the show and she listened to an episode of the podcast you know i tried not to make baby groots (laughs) high-pitched <laughs> um, but uh, so she uh, writes a blog called American Indians in Children's Literature, and she gives really thoughtful, careful analysis of the way Indigenous peoples, Indigenous histories are represented in children's lit, not just when they are sort of the central characters, but when they're used effectively as background characters, etc. And so I will be really interested to see what she thinks about this text. She's very thorough in her critiques, and no one's above reproach for her. Like, she'll take Mm -hmm. on all comers. I read a really interesting review that she wrote of Rebecca Rowanhorse's work. Rebecca Rowanhorse is herself Indigenous, but Debbie Reese has some critiques about the way she uses other nations in her writing. Writing, oh, other indigenous nations in her writing so anyway definitely worth keeping an eye on what debbie reese has to say about this book but i'm looking and like interestingly there are no critiques on goodreads in terms of own voices oh, critiques. No like would, well no there are no sorry i meant there's lots of reviews but there don't seem to be any own voices reviews yet okay so it'll be interesting to see i'm deeply curious yeah me too because i appreciate the fact that she's not trying to hide Mm -hmm. the origin of the story and she's very upfront about trying to be consultative but again we've had this discussion where Mm -hmm. it's not that people can't write stories from perspectives that they themselves don't self-identify as but i don't know the description was enough to intrigue me but i'm also apprehensive right i mean i don't want to i don't want something to profit from cultural appropriation And the thing is, mythology and spirituality is such a particular and specific issue here because the reason why there has been cultural disconnect for so many Indigenous people is because white Europeans and white North Americans made it so that they weren't allowed to pass their culture on, right? And so there's a layer beyond the straightforward issues of appropriation when Mm -hmm. you're dealing with a culture whose cultural practices were 
suppressed to then yes. turn around and say like, but this is a good story and I'm going to use it. It's like, <gasps> e. so exactly. all this to say, it sounds exquisitely written and I'm interested to check it out. And also I will be waiting with bated breath to see what Debbie Reese has to say about it and other indigenous critics. I shouldn't be like, mm-hmm. only Debbie Reese will comment <laughs> and, and, and she must do all the labor. Right. She's the easiest to find. and She's, she's very, the easiest to find. Yeah, she's very prolific. So there's a strong likelihood we'll see it there. It's true. But yeah, I've, and actually, that's a, this is a good one for the hashtag HKHSpod. If folks, if you come across um, Indigenous reviews of this book, particularly Ooh, yeah. Inuit reviews of this book, Please. we would like to hear about them. Yeah. Yes. If yeah. you yourself are Inuit and you are interested in checking out this book, we would love to hear from you. Or recommend us some other books that we yes. should be paying attention to. Because yes. like, I would be fascinated like, I don't know. Are there a wealth of Inuit YA books that we should be keeping our eye out for? Yeah, because even the one YA book that we have done that was set in the Arctic was not an Inuit story. So no, no, that should be on our radar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is Below by Alexandria Warwick. Awesome. Okay. All right. So, so that, that was our... Is... That's February, man. <laughs> That's February in the can. If you want to talk to us about any of these suggestions, and particularly if you happen to um, know more Inuit books that we should be checking out, or are yourself Inuit and have thoughts about Joe's pick below, we'd love to hear about it. So hashtag HKHSpod on the Twitters. If you want to find us personally or individually, separately. (laughs) (laughs) No, we only come as a pair. No, only. (laughs) I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. Joe, how do they find you? I am at to be still on my remote, and that's the letter B. Awesome. And if you have something longer or you've got a Minnesota idea you want to send us, that's hkhspod at gmail.com. We are always excited to get mail. Mm-hmm. Next week, I'm looking at the schedule, Joe, and I'm mm-hmm. seeing that next week we are looking at a text and a film called Z for Zachariah. I'm sure it's probably Z, but I will be saying Z for the entire episode, just to be clear. Got to bring that Canadian in, right? I really do. It's important to me. I actually, I got really annoyed at a library time once when Baby Groot was real tiny because they kept singing Z at the end of the alphabet song. Oh. And I was like, what are you doing to my child? <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I know nothing about this book. Can you tease it for the listeners? Absolutely. So it's like an early dystopian. So the book was published in 1974, and it's about a girl who survives a nuclear holocaust by virtue of living in an inlet where the fallout doesn't come down. So she's able to survive but she doesn't know if anybody else has. So she lives a very solitary life until the day that a strange man appears over the ridge and she doesn't know whether or not she can trust his intentions. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. And then the film is from 2015. And Brenna, we are going to have oh so much to talk about this because they age up these characters like <sighs> nobody's business. Oh, stop it. Just stop it. (laughs) Yeah. So what is certifiably a YA book becomes arguably an adult film. So I'm very interested to see how you feel about this. I don't watch adult films. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But they're all very pretty people. So at least we'll have that to look forward to. As long as they're beautiful. (laughs) Coming up in two weeks, we're going to be talking about Sex Education Season 2. So if you have not been watching at home... The second season did drop back on January 17th, but just bear in mind those are long-ish episodes, so, you know, give yourself a little bit of time. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, let's just be clear, Joe is not in fact talking to you, listening audience, he's talking to me. 
<laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Nudge, nudge, <laughs> wink, wink. Watch the show, Brenna. <laughs> <laughs> Brenna, I'm giving you lots of heads up. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so uh, I guess until next week when we're talking about Zed for Zachariah. <laughs> you damn right we are. <laughs> I'll see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Bye. Bye.